When you need mealtime inspiration, it's worth Shopping Kroger, where you'll find over 30,000 mouth-watering choices that excite your inner foodie. And no matter what tasty choice you make, you'll enjoy our everyday low prices, plus extra ways to save, like digital coupons worth over $600 each week. You can also save up to $1 off per gallon at the pump with fuel points. More savings and more inspiring flavors make Shopping Kroger worth it every time. Kroger, fresh for everyone. Fuel restrictions apply. Oh me, oh my, it looks like we could be losing this Bill Belichick guy. Ladies and gentle fans of Patriot Nation, we come to you today with the Six Rings and Football Things podcast preview edition brought to you by our friends at FanDuel Sportsbook. FanDuel, make every moment more. FanDuel.com slash Six Rings to sign up today. We gave you this offer all season long, people, but the good folks at FanDuel decided to carry the best of 2023 and the worst of the Patriots season into 2024. The offer still stands. Amazing no-sweat first bet, same-game parlay offers, and so much more. And now we've done flipped the whole thing on its head because hashtag Fade Fitzy isn't a thing anymore. I went 3-0 and last week, and you know what, Hart? I'm feeling pretty good about my bets this week, which we will get to at the tail end of this podcast. Looking forward to hearing where you are going to put your money and your mouth. That's not how the expression goes, guys. Just try to keep up with me. I'm out of the COVID. I'm just fresh off the COVID-19 reserve list. Feeling you a little don't worry about list. where my mouth is. All right, now, freshen things up, would you? Family podcast. Besides, we have to do this properly. This this needs to be a love letter. Isn't this the love letter podcast? The There goes our champion, because most people in Patriot Nation believe this will be the ultimate game for Bill Belichick, coach of the New England Patriots. As his future in Foxborough continues to remain a mystery, wrapped in an enigma, covered in a puzzle, nobody really knows for sure, though there is seems to be informed speculation. I know we can't bet on it. You've got your feelings on it. I've got my feelings on it. I think we both believe he will not be the coach of the Patriots after Sunday's game. And what a send-off it could be for him, Andy. Could there be a more appropriate game, a more appropriate opponent? Should this be the Foxborough finale for the greatest coach in franchise, if not NFL history, Bill Belichick against the New York Jets? And by the way, today, Andy, happy 24th anniversary of Bill Belichick resigning from the New York Jets after he was hired for but a single day, turned around, Rat snake bit them right on their gangrene ass and said, see ya. Three weeks later, he's the HC of the NEP and a large, brilliant and frustrating portion of both Patriots and Jets history was written then. So I felt for months now that this was the end of the Belichick era in New England. I have not wavered at any point. A um, couple meaningless wins don't change anything for me. A couple guys fighting the good fight don't change anything for me. Um, We had a story in the Boston Herald for the second year in a row, basically detailing the dysfunction um, of Bill Belichick. And he can still coach. And I think everybody agrees that, like, if you just asked him to draw up a defense, execute a defense, call a defense, he's lost touch with players, reality, staff building, organizationally, personnel, like all of the other aspects of the job have passed him by. He just, he's like, he's like the rest of us, quite honestly, you get a little older and there's still things you can do at a really high level, but then there's other things that are sort of on the periphery that you're like, why do the kids say these things? 
What are we betting on? Why do they keep saying bet? Like you lose touch with other areas. You can still take care of your own business that you do on a day-to-day basis. Yeah, I'm I'm charismatic. What's this whole thing about people saying that I I got the riz? No. Right. Like what riz what? <laughs> is, I don't even know how to do spell that. Do, do I do I have to get a vaccine for that? Do I is there a pill for it? So but it, it's a big job with a lot of areas like just being able to know what the opponent's going to do on third and seven is not enough to carry you anymore through, you know, we've had the comparison for years when you're the Mm -hmm. head coach or the CEO of a billion dollar corporation, you got to make sure everything it's like when the shareholders come together and ask for a detailed report on your company, you can't just answer one question positive and then have 10 questions that are negative. They're, they're looking for the totality of the corporation mm-hmm. to be moving in the right direction so that they make monies in this competitive business world. It's no different in the NFL. Yeah, it's great that you can still coach and stand in front of a, a defense and tell them what to do, but the job is so much bigger than that, and the bottom line is all the other stuff mm-hmm. is the reason you're a four-win coach right now, is the reason you broke a quarterback, is a reason you apparently have more – uh, finger pointing and and just uncertainty behind the scenes. Then, th- dude, this Herald piece. And by the way, I should also promote as host of the program. Make sure you stay tuned after our Patriots Jets preview and FanDuel Sportsbook Bet of the Week for Andy's chat with none other than the Boston Herald's Doug Kide, a perfectly timed Patriots media interview for the podcast this week, if I may say so myself. And I did. Good job by me. Bless you. Thank you. That's for Quentin Williams fans out there. Hope he doesn't blow us off now that uh, his, I'm sure his DMs and his texts are blowing up and he probably has better options. Oh, Andrew Callahan. I got to I got to give him his flowers for somebody who I think does an awesome job and gets a lot of regional and sometimes national love for the great work he does for the Herald. Returns every text. Always open for a beverage. We'll chat with us any any individual time. And I'm sure Doug will as well. This will be a very fun chat. A perfect get considering he co-authored the piece with Callahan as well. I was very, I was not surprised, Andy, but I was a little bit alarmed. I can't even say I was disappointed because Andrew's an impeccable reporter and Doug Kide is also somebody who doesn't make stuff up. Say what you want about their their analysis, if you will, all 22 breakdowns, even the occasional football jokes on Twitter, social media, et cetera. As far as reporting goes, their sources, their sourcing, and the story that they present Callahan is consistent. Even Belichick would probably tell you if you ever gave him a little truth serum, like, yeah, I got to bust his balls because Callahan's always up my ass, but he does a good job. Like, yeah, that's, that's his job. And so if you are somebody that wants to just have nothing but pure Belichick appreciation, if you want to wear your Patriots glasses, the hoodie footy pajamas, as Ordway would say, and just celebrate everything, six rings, nine Super Bowls, everything of the last quarter century, go ahead. Do not read this piece until after the Patriots game on Sunday or Monday, whenever it is you want to finally read it, or just don't read it at all. If you really want to get an understanding as to why things are where they are, why the Patriots have the most losses in a season in the Robert Kraft ownership era, let alone Bill Belichick coaching the Patriots, why people say this organization is a mess and there may very well need to be a reboot and a gut reno. Read the piece and then you'll understand why, because it's not just ah fake news and here's typical Boston mediacy. No, there are so many issues that need to be dealt with. And maybe like you said, Andy, the attention to detail for Bill Belichick may just not be there to be able to go through a sweep out all the, you don't just kill one cockroach, put it that way. Like if you see one, there's more and you got to make sure you root them out of the house 
no matter what you do. And it's going to take a while. Yeah. I mean, if I want to, if some people may not have read it or aren't going to read it, as you said, because they want to bury their head in the sand like an ostrich, um, I would basically summarize everything that we talked about that could go wrong went wrong. And everything that might not fit perfectly didn't fit perfectly. Like from Bill O'Brien, a third coordinator in three years, and how Mac's going to deal with that to Bill coming into a staff that already exists. And is Adrian Clem really a good offensive line coach? Cause he kind of stunk in Pittsburgh and they ran him out of town. And how's that going to fit? Like just a lot of layers to, Oh, Juju Smith Schuster. Is he really better than Jacoby Myers? Like are these new weapons, even weapons no. at all? Do the tackles <laughs> no. have any upside or are they just the hobo bum fight or whatever the heck you called it? Like a hobo rumble. Yes. Everything went wrong. That could go wrong along those lines. And again, part of the job, and and I've always thought the the worst aspect of Belichick is his um, people skills, and you know those get overshadowed when you win. I always said people liked playing for Belichick; they didn't like Belichick, and there is a differentiation. They liked playing for him because he puts them in position to succeed. He does know how the game's going to play out. He is a little bit of a um, phenom or whatever in that area but the the rest of it leaves something to be desired but that doesn't matter when you're winning when you're losing the other stuff creeps up feelings matter people point fingers like stuff just falls apart and that's what you've seen this year to the point where yes you need a change yes it is time and I think Robert Kraft agrees with that but we're still um half a week away from finding out definitively yeah this i mean just oh boy there's just so much in the piece to, to chew over it's not quite as long it's actually it's a meaty oh it's long <laughs> it's long that's that's a tome right there that's a uh that's a piece and a half not quite as long as the expose after last season but just to think it's just almost unthinkable to me that we would have one season end with an expose as to how dysfunctional it was inside the walls of one formerly Tom Brady place. And then the owner says, Oh, I'll tell you one thing we're not going to have is this mess again. No, sir. After you said that, and then the coach committed to it, they actually found a way to make it worse. And when you read this and you know, some people may, you can't trust all team, you know, every source, you know, some of them have a little bit of an agenda. There could be some monetary reasons why people, uh, elevate their hyperbolic descriptions of the way things have gone. But by and large, this paints a picture that tells you it's probably time for change for Bill Belichick. Maybe he'll be relieved by not having to be in charge of all this and rebuild the mess that got made. Like I've said a million times, it's almost a drinking game at this point, Bill the GM done damned Bill the coach. And now it's time to just sort of like, come on in, tell everyone how, how wonderful they are and uh, keep things rolling. And one uh, thing people don't include in that enough, I think when we have, we've had that argument for years, build a GM, yeah, build yeah. a coach, yeah, yeah. is they, they fixate on solely the on-field general manager duties, the talent procurement, free agency, the draft. Guess this guy's what? a ball hawk. This guy can't yeah. run. His knee is bad. It's so much more than that. It is putting a staff together, managing that staff, managing roles and jobs and egos and all of those things in, you know, behind the scenes in the football mm -hmm. offices. And, the more you read about this, the more it went south. 
Um, even to the point where he didn't want Bill O'Brien. He wanted to bring Matt Patricia back and keep building in turn, which is the Belichick way. Keep everybody together. Keep the friends close, blah, blah, blah. <laughs> uh, but it, it was a mess. We all What we all saw was the sausage. <laughs> we got a little more insight into what's inside the oh, sausage today. This is basically that, Upton that. Sinclair's The Football Jungle. Like, you don't want to know. Yeah, no. You bring Patricia back. One of the only highlights of the season was sending Patricia to Philadelphia to watch him torpedo their season as their new defense, as their in-season replacement at defensive coordinator. He somehow found a way to make their defense worse, which I think is amazing. The guy he, is a true football magician. You might argue that Patricia ruined two teams this season. He ruined the Patriots by just everything he set in place last year that was mm -hmm. sort of um, not able to be fixed and recovered from this year. And then he gets to Philly and starts to work there and like tearing it down. It's an inside job. <laughs> Yeah, I, I truly, yeah, the call definitely. And I like him, I, by the way. I do need to say, I've always had a very good relationship with Matt Patricia um, personally, but it's like Josh McDaniels. Those two guys who I think have done a really good job with Bill mm -hmm. don't do a really good job away from Bill and don't do a really good job when sort of they veer off their areas of comfort. And and it's all falling apart. That's just the the, the reality is it's all falling apart. Yeah, and someone who whoever comes in next better uh, have a good sturdy pair of gloves, some nice boots, and not mind getting their hand the the getting their clothes dirty because it's going to be a Clean. big old cleanup. Find you know what? Find the helpers. Find the cleaners. What is that? Um, what is that thing that goes through a high school football locker rooms every once in a while? One of those like um, bacteria's uh, uh, or something, and they have MRSA. Like, MRSA. This is a MRSA, MRSA clean. This is, you need to get everybody uh, out. You need guys MRSA's bad news. Really? Spray everything down yeah. with bleach and just start fresh next spring. That's, MRSA ain't no joke, man. That's no. bad. That's like, like you you could almost sort of say like uh, Belichick uh, with the with the dysfunction that's going through between the players and his coaches has a staff infection, but technically MRSA is worse. You're welcome. No, 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 no. Soak Fashion it in. Up, come on. Man. Actually, it was pretty. Come on. Come on. Staff infection, the story of the 20. I actually think that should have been the headline of the globe. Staff infection, the story of the 2023 Patriots downfall. I'm You know what? I'm going to, you know what? After the pod, I'll text that one to Callahan and see what he thinks. Or you Pretty can good. run it by Kide when you chat yeah. with him as well. Or at least somebody should use it on TV when talking about this story. Like NBC Sports Boston should bring in Andrew Callahan, do a segment on it, and the little Chiron thing. The lower third will say staff, staff infection. infection. Yeah. You could have used it last night. Damn it. I should have gotten think it. think of it. Well, I, because I did. But you never want to give me my flower. Rare. That's fine. There's a first time for everything. Oh, would you just blow it out your ass? All right. Oh, uh, no, that's fine. I can say it anywhere. It's okay. And also, we did get some uh, intimations um, even before Andrew and Doug pulled the blanket back on the corpse of the 2023 Patriots. We heard a lot from some national resources who are pretty plugged in and none, none too hot takeish, if I may, in Jeremy Fowler and Dan Graziano at ESPN who neither neither of whom I would I say came right out and said like you can expect a coaching change to be made next week but pretty much did everything they tap danced around it and did everything except actually come out and say like yeah this is it and so how do we think Andy and we'll have obviously a ton of time to react to this on the six rings post game show Sunday which should be a whopper uh and then we'll have pods of plenty next week and beyond how do you think this plays out following the game on Sunday. Well, first of all, I think for next week, you and I should probably be in the seats we are in right now for the entire week 
with our finger on the button, just ready to do emergency podcasts based on everything. Why not just a 168-hour live stream? Yep, I, I think Let's we go. should. It works for Seven all these straight like, days. Beast, Mr. Beast did it. He stayed in a room for like 100 hours. Like, I think we should just stay in this room on these. I just came out of that room where I was for like 120 hours. I was well, like, staying in this one. This Damn is it. It's a um, new quarantine. I just exited. It's a, it's a <sighs> Patriot based quarantine until we uh, get rid of the staff infection and everything that goes into it. Um, <sighs> I think it's probably going to be midweek before we start to really see sort of the dominoes fall. I don't think it'll right. be Black Monday or. I keep no. saying terrible Tuesday. I know that Jordan Schultz guy was like, yeah, Kraft and Belichick are going to meet next week. No, I'm not going to swear. No crap, buddy. They meet next week after every season. Like, that's how these things work around here. Thanks for pointing out the obvious. Um, but how it unfolds, because we continue to get these um, mutual parting of the ways reports. Well, I keep asking this. If they haven't really met and talked about it, how do they know the other side wants to mutually part ways? It's not really feasible. If Belichick digs his heels in, you're going to have to fire his old ass. That's mm -hmm. just the reality. If he doesn't want to play ball with you, and if he now maybe he does, maybe he's had enough. Maybe he is so sick because I can't imagine he enjoys this dysfunction that the Herald is detailing yet again, like the rubbing of the wrong way behind the scene. And this guy doesn't like that guy. And this guy's holding too many meetings. And this guy's not holding enough meetings. And I, I that is like, that feels like some middle school crap that would crawl up his ass sideways and ruin life for him. And Whoa. he always said, I, I remember this maybe like eight to 10 years ago. He said, I'm going to keep coaching as long as I'm coaching guys I want to coach. Like that the player, right. he want. well, this season, I think he got some guys he didn't want to coach because he already sent some of them packing like mm -hmm. JC Jackson and Jack Jones and Trent Brown. But we may have also missed, he probably should have said, I'll keep coaching as long as I like the guys I'm coaching with, not above, right. but with like, and I don't know that he probably enjoyed the assistant coaches this year and everything that seems to have been gone on behind closed doors. So, um, but how it plays out after they win or lose against the jets, I, I think you're going to get 48 to 72 hours there of maybe uncertainty mm -hmm. before yeah. you start to see the dominoes start to fall. That's my guess is the first. Yeah. The, the the first word, if you will, the the our first little breadcrumbs will start to maybe trickle out Tuesday night or Wednesday morning as to if there's going to be a presser, maybe there's going to be a joint conference where they all sit down at a table and, you know, he gets his applause and he gets to make a farewell speech and blah, blah. The same way he comes in, he goes out. Um, you know, Andy, I, I, I like there's just so much. They had a terrible right. They were five and 11 in 2000. They're probably going to go five and 12 this year because I think we both think they're going to beat the Jets. 2000 the was the circle of life. The, the tooth. Oh my God. Even El, Elton, if Elton John isn't dead yet, that may be the death knell. That could, that could be, it. you know what? Actually, Oh, hold on a second. Just got an email from Disney. You do not owe us any rights and clearances for that. Cause it was okay. Yeah. You're fine. Eddie. Cause uh, it sounded nothing like the original. It didn't. It, none of the algorithms and the bots that listen for copyright infringement. were like, no, we're, you're clear. That's fine. We've never heard that before. Uh, Shit, now I lost my I lost my train of thought. Oh, grandpa. Uh, no, no, but also year 2000, first time, first year coach for Bill Belichick, no pro bowlers. 2023, likely Bill Belichick's last season, no pro bowlers on the team. Like it's gone for like he took it from garbage, took it to the highest mountaintop, and they're up there, and then quickly the roller coaster zipped back down. Like the symmetry is the numerical symmetry is undeniable. 
Yeah, but also is undeniable that he didn't finish the way he wanted if you believe the Seth Wickersham story where he talked about a truly dynastic approach and he wanted to leave it as good or better than he found it kind of thing and all that ain't happening. And the problem is they had a two-year timeline that he blew up. I firmly believe the plan was for him to coach two more years, stabilize things with Mac Jones as the quarterback, and then pass it off to Gerard Mayo in a seamless transition of power Mm -hmm. and you're competing along the way. And it all fell apart. It all fell apart under his watch. Um, mm-hmm. He certainly has plenty of blame um, to, to take. Now, is there other blame? Certainly you could pass some blame around. And, there, you know, I'm sure Robert Kraft made some mistakes. I'm sure Matt Groh made some mistakes and other people made mistakes. But Matt Bill Jones Bel- made some mistakes. He made some mistakes. And, and Bill Belichick, though, you got the credit. You You get the blame now. It's just the way it works. That's how it works. He always said the same play. When we win, compliment the players. When we lose, come after me. Well, there's been more losing than winning, and thus they've come for him. Yep. Uh, All right, let's get to the game, Andy, as well. Uh, One more thing. Oh, yeah. Well, this is related to the game, but not the specific on-field action as much as in-stadium action relating to Bill Belichick. Hmm. Matthew Slater will be on the big board sometime in the fourth quarter to get his uh, standing ovation from the home crowd, the Foxborough faithful. I, that's a certainty to me. Matthew Slater playing his last game in all in all likelihood. Um, what um, if I told you I can pretty much without telling you how and why I know like this is it? We yeah, all know well, that. I do too. I mean, I'm just yeah. People yeah, change yeah, their yeah. minds, yeah. so I'm not going to say with he did last year. He was about to go and then change right. his mind, but I'm just made up mind a lot. He once yeah. said he would never coach football. Now he says he might coach football. So he seems to have a little bit of a, a mind change thing going on late in his mm-hmm. career. Indecisiveness, um, if you will. Yes. Do you think Bill Belichick will be uh, shown on the big board in the final five minutes of the game for his standing ovation? Would he want that? Would he actually tell people not to do that? Would he get mad about that? Would the crafts want that? Is it showing your hand if you put him on the big board? Is that like saying, by the way, just so everybody knows for sure, these are the closing minutes of his career here. Um, It is. Do you think that plays out on that massive television screen in the snow? Uh, I do not feel like Bill Belichick will be shown uh, in the fourth quarter on the Ultron, if you will, the ultra mega super jumbotron. Um, I don't think you'll see Belichick in the fourth because there'll probably be an edict from Belichick, Burrs, et cetera. Don't do that. He doesn't want to be a distraction, doesn't want to tip the hand, doesn't want to distract from the game. That's what he is. He's programmed to just coach the freaking game in front of him. Whereas Matthew Slater. Not his it's, building, I know, not, not his, his building. cameras, not his employees. So if it'll Robert be a Kraft request, says, I want it. If Jonathan Kraft says, I want it, guess who's going to be on the big board? Well, Bill. Robert Kraft might say, I want it. You deserve it, Bill. And Jonathan Kraft might be thinking like, you know what? I'm so pissed at this guy. Put him up the whole fourth quarter. <laughs> Put him up. He, made, that, he turned little, dad into a meme. The uh, With the little things that say, you know, Bill Belichick. 2000 to 2024 like <laughs> in the arms of the angel yeah yeah that would be so awkward uh i do it's think you'll awkward. see slater and i love dakota randall's tweet from nesson earlier this week uh if we don't run at least one if the patriots don't run at least one you know flea flicker or wide receiver play for matthew slater just so he can get his flowers in his final game then what the hell is the team doing in this losing season? Like, give the fans something. Come on, give them something to cheer about, Belichick. Come on, do it. I would love, love to see Matthew Slater get one offensive play. Absolutely. Now, 
you can criticize it and say, well, the guy doesn't play offense, hasn't played offense in eight years. And and there's a reason why. <laughs> and that's fine. But I would also say, are you taking this game seriously or not? Or are you just, you know, playing out the string? So the hard O's that pretend they, he doesn't do stuff like that, the hard O's that pretend he never attempted a drop kick or never put Deion Branch back in to get his thousand yards, like the hard O's would say Belichick is above t- such things. I would like to think he's not above such things. And I would, abs- especially since their wide receivers stink. I mean, let's be honest. You're putting everybody out there anyway. Put Matthew Slater in. Either run a deep ball, run a jet sweep. Let him get the ball and let us all cheer. And hopefully, right. it doesn't go south like Trent, um, Troy Brown's punt return. Remember when the one went off his face and it was like in yeah, 2007, like, hey, hey, he, Troy Brown, get you. Oh no, yeah, that was against the Dolphins. That was bad. Hopefully, that, that doesn't bad. happen if they put Slater in on offense. <laughs> I would let uh, him play. No, no, no. You know what I'd let him do? What offense, defense, and special teams. He played safety for a portion of his career. He's a wide receiver for a portion of his career. Obviously, he'll be on special teams. I'd let him play in all three phases. Let him get a snap in all three phases since he is such a Belichick guy. And one day, hopefully, we will see him get his yellow jacket and bronze bust in Kenton, Ohio at the Pro Football Hall of Fame. Here's one person who will sing Belichick's praises no matter what. And deservedly so, because that's been that's really like the last of his guys. He called him, said it was one of the guys that would be on his uh, ultimate all Bill Belichick team from the Giants to the Jets to the Browns and the Patriots and more. Deservedly so. Matthew Slater. What a career. All right. Let's get to our uh, our preview and bet here. It is time for the FanDuel Sportsbook Bet of the Week. FanDuel Sportsbook. Make every moment more. FanDuel.com slash six rings to sign up today and bet alongside or against your old pals, Fitzy and Hart, here on the show. All right, the New England Patriots in the finale of their 2023 season, which takes place, sadly, in 2024. The Patriots are one-and-a-half-point favorites at home against the Jets. The Jets have come in with a record of 5-11, and 11, I believe, or are they 6-10? and 6-10. and 6-10. and 10. Okay, they got 6, as the Joker would say. 6. 6-10. and 10. An over-under of 30-and-a-half points scored. The weather on Sunday. A miserable mix. Garbage. The tail end of a nor'easter kid. Could be anywhere between two to four inches of fresh snow falling during the day with some rain, freezing snow, wind, ice, you name it. It'll be there in attendance for the Belichick farewell. Couldn't be a more appropriate send out uh, as we get crap weather in the area from late Saturday night into Sunday morning. Should be at what a tailgate that's going to make for. <laughs> oh, my God. Uh, and it's going to be lousy game conditions as well. Andy, I'm going to keep this one real simple. It's clockwork and it's Bill Belichick 38 and 11 against the Jets as coach of the Patriots 39 and 12 overall. He runs this one to 39 and 40. The Patriots will find a way to beat the Jets even though I will say big laugh last night on the Rich Keefe show a caller who's a Jets fan who now is in the New England area called up and said I'm so sick and tired of you guys. I've been underfoot, miserable for years. The last thing I want to see is my team win just so the New England Patriots get a better draft pick. I want the Patriots to beat the even Jets fans yep. are rooting for the Patriots because they don't want to see Bill Belichick and the Patriots. Smi- uh, rather, they don't mind if he smiles about the win. They don't want the Patriots to have a chance to get a better quarterback and thus put uh, Jets Nation once again gangrene under thumb. We'll talk a little bit about that on Friday in our Behind Enemy Lines podcast with Will Parkinson from Turn on the Jets, one of our best pals here on the show. So anyway, I will go with uh, the Patriots and the under and my prop. I took this in the Steelers game. It didn't come true because that was a weird ass game. However, I feel more comfortable in the offensive ineptitude of Zappi versus Simeon in the finale. 
Give me at plus 155 each individual team's first drive ending in a punt. So <clears throat> I agree. I'm taking the Patriots. Uh, I don't feel great about it. Anytime you have a quarterback who <laughs> likes to turn the ball over on the first play of the game, anything could happen. You mix yep. in some snow. I'm glad it's going to snow. I think that's going to beautify what is a dog oh, yeah. of a football game late in the year. Yep. Um, so I, I love the snow. I love the theater of the snow, the look of it, and making it a snow game. Um, so I'll lay the point and a half for the Patriots, but anything mm -hmm. could happen. It's it's why I've loved people talking about, um, you know, will they tank? I think they can lose organically. I don't know if they need to tank. Like right. when your quarterback turns the ball over three times in the first half, like he did last week, it might be over. Now the Jets defense not playing all that well. They've given out 28 plus points three they weeks in a row. They got smoked against right. old man, their old pal Flacco oh, a week and a half ago. I think the Patriots are the team that's trying more. They have gotten rid of some of the guys that I don't think would be trying. And I think the Patriots are the try-hard team in this game. And I think the try-hard team will win. I do think it'll be under because, well, you know, both offenses kind of stink and both defenses are the strength of the team, regardless of mm -hmm. how the Jets are playing. Mm -hmm. I considered your first drive one, but what I would have done had I done it, but I don't have the balls, is <clears throat> Jets first drive, Patriots first drive, other and hope that both teams turn the ball over on their first drive because you uh, get nice juice out of that. Can, now, can Zappy can Zappy go for the trifecta, Andy? Because yes. against Denver and against Buffalo, not only first drive, first play from scrimmage, a turnover. It's what he do. He throw the ball to other team a lot in practice, in games, wherever he is. He a gunslinger. That's how you make it sound good. He gunslinger. Mm -hmm. Well, gunslinger, he throws it to the other team. He gives it to the other team. Right. But I'm not going to do that. I'm going to go simple here. Because you can get a little juice out of this, and I think double up on your winnings if you're a Patriot fan. Patriots by 1 to 13 points is mm -hmm. plus 135. That's so you nice. get a little plus money there, um, and you, you kind of all package it together into one nice, tidy win for your Patriots. But I've been saying all week, if you truly want to win and you're not mm -hmm. short-sighted, the best way, as you mentioned the caller noted, to stick it to the Jets is to lose is to get the number two pick when the Falcons win and then have potentially Drake May or Caleb Williams or whoever the hell else you want beat the snot out of the Jets twice a year for the next 10 or 12 years. Uh, just for the record, that's a great idea. And don't forget, because of all the different uh, popsicle headache inducing math we've been in scenarios we've been treated to this week from the Schragers and the this guy and the that guys and the Kornackis when they talked, uh, you do want the Falcons to beat the Saints. You would love to see the commanders pull off the upset against the Cowboys. They did it last year in what was like Sam Howell's first start. They don't, that, what is Sam Howell and Riverboat Ron? Why do they have to tank? There's uh, there's no organizational edict. Watch, the Cowboys will go tooth and nail against the Commanders this week with the Cowboys NFC East and a number two seed on the line as well. That would be an absolute gift in Patriots Nation as well because then they'd have a shot at the number two pick. So we'll be scoreboard watching. We'll be actual game watching. And uh, just a fun little tidbit, folks. In case you want to get crazy and bet uh, the final score, Patriots 6, Jets 3 is plus 11,000. I mean, how you don't just put five bucks on that just in case? Just that now you're just throwing like little chips on the roulette table. Just, you know, yeah, whatever. And just to cross promote, if you want to jump on over on the Six Rings feed to the Cadillac's Crucial Clashes edition, where he, mm. Mike Cadillac, WEI.com, makes his game prediction. I won't tell you what happens. But you're going to be angry potentially at Chad Ryland for a different reason than you're normally angry at Chad Ryland. Oh, he's going to make the game winning. Okay, spoiler alert. Hey, I didn't say anything. All right, that was me. Cadillac's Crucial Clash is also there on the Six Rings feed. All right, so there you go. So Andy and I both are taking the Patriots to cover. 
We are taking the under as well. I'm going to give you a first drive ends in a punt for each team at plus 155. And Andy, at plus 135, you had uh, Patriots winning by a margin of 1 to 13. Put those all together. You can make yourself a nice couple of bucks, hopefully. That'll pay for what we hope was a healthy and happy holiday season for everyone. All right, that'll do for the six rings and football things. Patriots and Jets preview and our FanDuel Sportsbook bet of the week. Stay tuned now for Andy's chat with Doug Kide of the Boston Herald, who will detail a little bit of the great expose he and Andrew Callahan put together on the dysfunctional and disappointing Patriots 2023 season. Tomorrow morning, Friday morning, two days before the game. Don't forget, we'll have our behind enemy lines chat with Will Parkinson of Turn on the Jets. He's one of our favorite podcast hosts and guests here on Six Rings and Football Things. We'll celebrate how miserable both teams are and who wants to win this game more or less. For Hart, for Terp, for everyone, for Cadillac and the entire company here at Six Rings and Football Things, thank you guys for listening. As always, we're a presentation of WEI Odyssey and 2400 Sports. Good day. God bless. Go Patriots. And now, Andy and Doug Kide from the Boston Herald. Back one last time here on Six Rings and Football Things for the final beat writer interview of the season. Mixing it up a little bit. Usually I'm at Gillette, so you don't get to see the person, but I'm sitting in the same room as them today. I'm not sitting in the same room, but you get to see Doug Kide of the Boston Herald. And uh, I really appreciate Doug joining us today because uh, I previously had reached out to him to, uh, to talk about the end of the season and Bill Belichick. And little did I know that he and Andrew Callahan would be dropping what I guess is becoming an annual tradition for the Boston Herald, a, a breakdown of the dysfunction of the Patriots. So, uh, Doug, Doug Kide, if you want to follow him on Twitter, it's at Doug Kide. Uh, Doug, appreciate you joining us. Um, big day today for you and Andrew and the Herald. Um, so I guess I'll start right out the gates. I think a lot of people have probably read the story now that they've listened to this. But what, I guess, was the biggest surprise for you as you were putting together uh, this story, which, as I said, comes on the heels of last year's dysfunction with Matt Patricia. What was sort of the what jumped out to you about year two of dysfunction in Foxborough? There, there's certainly a lot of things. I think a lot of the coaching staff issues, because you would have thought that they would have figured those out after last year with, you know, Matt Patricia and Joe Judge running the show. Um, certainly the fact that if it were up to Bill Belichick, would have liked to have brought Matt Patricia back as OC and then. You know, once once Bill O'Brien came in, that Bill O'Brien brought in his one assistant, but then had to work with, you know, it's a, a, a running backs coach who was a safety in the past, a wide receivers coach who was a defensive back in the past, uh, Troy Brown, who didn't coach for, you know, 15, 20 years after his NFL career ended. So I think, I think that that's one of the big things. And then also just the continued dysfunction in the quarterback room. I think that we all kind of saw that happening as the summer is transpiring. But, you know, to have people saying, hey, we really could have used a veteran in this room, an adult in this room, to push everyone in the same direction uh, and to have people actually say that to us rather than just speculation about it. Yeah, certainly we've all seen from afar the management slash mis mismanagement of the quarterback depth chart. I mean, pretty um... – unprecedented for a team that has a questionable starter who's a young guy at quarterback to then cut everybody and not have a backup to start the season and then all the roster moves and I guess we'll start there since you led us in that direction um and this is I guess a Bill O'Brien question because you guys wrote um so we all know what happened last offseason we know that Robert Kraft stepped in had that press release they're going to start interviewing for offensive coordinators and you guys wrote Bill Belichick had no 
intent of running the search in good faith last offseason. And we remember it was Bill O'Brien, Adrian Clem, Sean Jefferson. It was basically friends of Belichick kind of group um, had connections to Bill. Like what what do you think transpired there? Did Bill just accept the medicine that was given to him from Robert Kraft, who has said publicly he wanted Bill O'Brien um, as the offensive coordinator? Did he just accept his medicine? Was he pouting through that? Pro like, what's your um, perception of how we landed on Bill O'Brien? And then why wasn't Bill O'Brien the savior that he was supposed to be? Yeah, I mean, I think it was the most logical choice if if Bill wasn't going to get his way by having Matt Patricia here. And then... Yeah, it did not, you know, they didn't run the, the search in good faith because they were essentially interviewing Adrian Clem for the offensive line job. I think some of those wide receivers coaches who came in, they were potentially interviewing them for a potential wide receiver opening um, or at least, you know, see, see what they could find out from them, see if that would be a, a possibility. So I think that they were bringing in these other candidates to look at other positions within the staff, knowing full well that they were going to be ultimately hiring Bill O'Brien. And I think that Bill O'Brien to some degree was hamstrung by the staff that he had to work with. Uh, the fact that, you know, he, he brought in Will Long as tight ends coach, but couldn't have full say in, in everything that was, you know, he, he didn't handpick every other coach that he was going to be working with. And I think that there was some frustration, especially with the offensive line and at wide receiver, the development of those prospects, the coaching of those prospects. And those are two positions that we've since seen Adrian Clem no longer with the team uh, because of some health-related issues. Ross Douglas no longer with the team. He joined the Syracuse staff. Um, and I don't think it's the, the biggest issue that those guys aren't around anymore because things weren't working out anyway in developing players, in developing rookies. Obviously, we saw Demario Douglas have a good season, but a lot of the veterans who came in or the veterans who are back at wide receiver uh, have not had good seasons along the offensive line. Every plan that they possibly had for a right tackle didn't work out, so then they finally had to move Michael Wenu back over there. Um, so I think that that's a big part of it. And then just obviously also the talent at quarterback. But I also think that there were some things that the Patriots could have done to plan their offense a little bit better around the talented quarterback. And maybe that's not the case with Mac Jones, but with Bailey Zappi, you at least have a, a more mobile option back there at quarterback. And I think that they could have tailored the offense a little bit better towards him uh, once he did take over with, you know, maybe some boots, uh, maybe a few more RPOs, more play action, like just modernize the offense a little bit and build around the strengths of the quarterback that you have there. I think a lot of us from the outside have said for a long time, there's not a lot of talent on this offense. The offensive yeah. line, not good. The receivers, not like up and down the depth chart on that side of the ball. Ooh, good to see a C4 in the mouth oh, of yeah. a uh, guest, uh, former sponsor of the uh, Six Rings and Football <laughs> Things podcast. We'd love to have him back. Good job. Product placement. Um, got but in this desk right now. Oh, nice. Yeah. You got the uh, real energy, the smart energy, a double dip. And I love it. <laughs> um, so one of the real nuggets that I think a lot of people pulled from this story um, which, by the way, I should probably give the headline, the title, just in case. The inside story of the Patriots' fall to rock bottom in the Bill Belichick era. I like it. Um, is Adrian Clem apparently voicing his frustration with the talent he had to work with uh, in a in a vocal argument or whatever you want to call it with Matt Groh? Um, where do you put the dysfunction of this offense, which is historically bad? Where do you balance out? The coaching staff didn't work. The coaching staff wasn't a fit with just, this is not chicken salad. This is the old school, you know what, and there's just not a lot of talent on that side of the ball. 
it's it's tough to weigh that. I think that one of the frustrations that Adrian Clem had uh, with the offensive line is that he didn't feel like the group was athletic enough, uh, which got kind of some a little bit of blowback from uh, people that we talked to within the front office that, you know, if you're looking at Calvin Anderson or you're looking at Vidarian Lowe or Tyrone Wheatley, like the issues there aren't necessarily athletic related. Those guys are athletic enough offensive linemen. They felt like maybe the, the issue was more techniques that were being taught, that those players were behind uh, technician-wise, which then goes back to coaching. So I think for many, many years, you could take the, the chicken SH that you were referring to, um, and it would work under a guy like Dante Scarnecchia because he would figure it out. They had different ways of coaching technique. Then Adrian Clinton comes in, He's not really teaching the same techniques that I think that they were expecting him to because he had grown so much as a coach since being with the Patriots that, you know, I think it's also a degree of, okay, we were expecting the coach to come in and do one thing. Now he's doing something else. And we brought in players to maybe do one thing and now they're doing something else. So it seemed like that wasn't necessarily a great fit from the, from the start. Um, and I don't think that there's necessarily like – infighting between the coaching staff and the front office just because it all goes back to the same guy. It all goes back to Bill Belichick. So like the same guy is deciding both things. Uh, but I do think that there was frustration from both sides that, Hey, you're not giving me the players I want. And Hey, you're not coaching up the players that we gave you well enough. One of the things that I found interesting was the um, way you guys wrote about Bill O'Brien really kind of taking over the offense, which makes sense. He's a long time offensive coordinator, play caller, mind, but you guys emphasize that he controlled more of the meetings. There was less time for mm -hmm. positional group meetings. Do you think, was that an indication that he didn't trust his assistants to work on their own with the players that he needed to micromanage and oversee more of the scheme, of the techniques, of just sort of the aspects of the offense? What was what was your read and, and the indication sources gave you for why he was so micromanaging of the of the time. Yeah, the the sense that I got is that it was just with some frustrations uh, on the coaching staff, and uh, like I mentioned, especially at wide receiver and on offensive line. Um, you know, there's some debate whether or not teams necessarily have the time to run those individual meetings the way. Like at this point in the season, I was told that you know sometimes teams kind of meet as a whole anyway, just to save time. Um, but then I know that there was some frustration that, hey, th like there's time in the day to be running those individual positional groups, and it just wasn't happening. So uh, ultimately, I do think it goes down to I, what I would refer to as frustrations, uh, you know, with, with the offensive line and wide receiver. I think that, that could um, – certainly be read as a lack of trust in certain coaches within the offensive staff uh, to, to be coaching up those players and to be developing those players the way that Bill O'Brien wanted them to be. So um, I thought Bill O'Brien had a really interesting comment in the middle of the season. I think he was talking about the quarterback position when he kind of mapped out the power structure of the Patriots and talked about Robert Kraft's up here, Bill Belichick's here, and then we're all down here. Um, in this story, you guys paint sort of Robert Kraft's up here, Bill Belichick, then Bill O'Brien, then everybody else, at least offensively. So I'm wondering, it's out there now. So if they didn't know, now they know Robert Kraft and Jonathan Kraft as they approach the biggest decision of their uh, ownership tenure here with, with Bill Belichick's future. 
But how much do you think they've been aware or when they were aware of kind of that it wasn't working? Because Robert was a factor in bringing O'Brien here. So he probably had faith and hope that this was going to work properly and not be an experiment like he called last year's staff. But do you think they knew at some point, September, October, when did they know? Did they not know until they read the Boston Herald today how bad it was and and what was going on there? Like, how, how do you think the knowledge made its way up the power structure in terms of this dysfunction? <laughs> I certainly wouldn't be surprised if there's some aspects that they didn't know until this came out. And I, I certainly wouldn't be surprised if there's still aspects that we weren't able to put in the story uh, that, that they don't know at this point. Um, but I, I think that it, it became pretty evident right away that this offense just was not functioning the way that an NFL offense should. Uh, the the back-to-back games against the Cowboys and Saints should have been a, a clear indication that hey, the expectations that we had coming in here, because I even heard that from someone that like, hey, everyone in the summer was talking about, hey, we have the potential to win nine games, 10 games, like turn this thing around, flip it from what it was last year uh, with Matt Patricia and Joe Judge. And that it became evident kind of right away that the people that were, you know, in charge of developing these players, it wasn't working out, uh, that the offense wasn't functioning to the degree. degree. And I, I also do think that, just even simply personnel-wise, some people were looking at what the Patriots did this offseason of, hey, we usually have a traditional slot receiver. Hey, we usually have a traditional third down back, and we don't have those on the roster right now. Um, and uh, they eventually found one in Demario Douglas as a six-round rookie, but you also have to consider the fact that they benched him for like two weeks after he fumbled, which I think that probably – hurt the offense at that point as well because I think that there could have been something building there with Demario Douglas and they eventually found it again but I think that the offense became a little bit stagnant for a while uh, when they took Demario Douglas out of the mix as well so I think it was a number of factors but I think that it should have become pretty evident right away that what they did this offseason to try to fix things only really hurt everything more than it should have. Okay, so we made it, I don't know, 10, 12 minutes into this discussion, and we haven't said a, a name that I find interesting, and that's Mac Jones, the yeah. first-round pick, the once-upon-a-time franchise quarterback and pro bowler and a guy Robert Kraft was a fan of and was not shy about telling us he was a fan of. This was supposed to be make-or-break year for Mac Jones, put up or shut up. We know how it played out. He's benched four times and then is eventually benched for good, um, a guy who looked broken a year ago looked, I'll add an ER on it, broken-er this year. Um, is it, it – I, I almost don't even know where I want to go with the question in terms of does Mac Jones still have excuses? We were supposed to put the excuses to bed by giving him Bill O'Brien this year and having a competent, functional offense, but does Mac Jones still have excuses or can he point to, listen, I didn't play well, I turned the ball over, maybe I didn't even handle it well. But there was a lot of blank going on in the background. I think you guys said it was uh, completely effed um, in the background. Like, does Mac, where does Mac Jones fit in here, and does he have an excuse? And can he point to, it wasn't all me, like you tried to make it look like? He can try to make an excuse, but, I mean, one of the questions that I ask someone is that, like, is, is there still hope for Mac Jones in the future? And the, the answer was, like, pretty tepid. Like, uh, I don't know. Like, because – we we wrote a lot about Mac Jones back in October where the expectation was that Mac Jones was going to be this heady prospect who could make changes at the line of scrimmage, like make smart decisions, uh, maybe didn't have the biggest arm, wasn't maybe the most talented guy, but you could trust him to do intelligent things. 
And then he winds up just like getting back there and doing, I think is what the source said was, you know, dumb SHIT all the time, like throwing the ball to the other, the other team, um, panicking under pressure. Like all these things were things that they were not necessarily expecting out of him. So that's why I kind of say that I don't know how many excuses he still has at this point because we've seen it two years in a row now with Matt Patricia and Joe Judge. Obviously, there were plenty of excuses last year for why that didn't work. But for him to play even worse this season under Bill O'Brien, and I know that there's talent issues, there's talent issues on the offensive line. Like It all goes together. There's, there's multiple reasons why this team wasn't functioning properly this season. But I do think that the quarterback play was chief among them. Um, and I think that even just there's still kind of a lack of maturity there in the quarterback room as well that I think that, you know, Mac was, I don't think it necessarily benefited him. Like Zappi's success last year. I think that maybe that hurt his confidence a little bit coming into the season. And then the fact that Bill Belichick says all off season, there's going to be this quarterback competition between Mac Jones and Bailey Zappi. Not sure if that wound up being the, the greatest thing for Belichick to do either, because then you're just creating a clash in the quarterback room of these two young guys whose personalities might not mesh that well. You've got Trace McSorley as the veteran in the room. I think that they probably could have used someone who had been around the league for you know, 10, 15 years, maybe not another guy who's kind of around the same age as them, just to push everyone in the right direction. So I don't know. Personally, I don't think there's a lot of excuses left for Mac Jones. I don't think that there's people in the building who think there's a lot of excuses left for Mac Jones. Um, and he could certainly find himself in the right uh, situation, like a 49ers type situation where maybe he could have success, but not if he's going to continue to make so many dumb mistakes and continue to panic under pressure. Like there's a lot to fix there for Mac Jones still. Uh, I won't speak for you, but I'll speak for myself in saying I was dead wrong. And this touches on what you just mentioned, Mac Jones and the Patriots. Um, we all kind of thought Mac Jones was the most NFL ready quarterback and he landed with the most stable organization <laughs> for a young QB. And and it looks like we were dead wrong on both sides yeah. of that coin, right? Like, yeah, it's, it, it's crazy how that worked out in my mind. Okay. So let's try. I, I do think I will say like if Josh McDaniels had stuck around, but when they took him, like there was definitely the possibility that Josh McDaniels was not going right. to be sticking around. So that's something else that we could have predicted. Maybe couldn't predict the fact that, you know, Matt Patricia and Joe judge were next in line to be offensive coordinator, right. but yeah, in theory that should have worked out better. Yeah, it's, uh, it's crazy that it didn't. But now we are where we are. We're at the end of this season. We have the Jets finale on Sunday, and we're beginning to talk about not the past and what's gone wrong, but how to fix it, the future in Foxborough. And clearly that puts Bill Belichick's job um, in jeopardy, or maybe the decision has already been made, as Tom Curran has reported, and that he's on his way out the door, parting of ways. Um, the, the future of Foxborough once upon a time included Gerard Mayo. It seemed like the timeline was Bill Belichick, two more years, breaks the record. Gerard Mayo takes over. We have a nice little passing of the, uh, the torch and they screwed that up with how bad they were this year. My question revolving around what we're talking about and sort of the offensive staff, if Gerard Mayo were to get the job is bill o'brien still salvageable as the offensive coach could you keep that to, or or has everything that's gone wrong this season derailed that whole plan to the point where you tear it all down i i think it's still salvageable i don't know exactly what i would do with the offensive set like especially that offensive coordinator position but if drug mayo 
and Bill O'Brien get along well enough. If they think that they could coexist there with Bill O'Brien as Gerard Mayo's offensive coordinator, you know, it would be kind of a weird dynamic since Mayo was a player in Bill O'Brien's first tenure as offensive coordinator, then he kind of leapfrogs him over there as head yep. coach. But I think that, you know, if Bill O'Brien did get to hire his own full staff, if he got to make full changes, wide receivers, offensive line, you know, maybe running backs. I've heard good things about Vinny Sinceri. I've heard good things about Will Lying um, as running backs and tight ends coach. But if he's able to kind of dictate his entire staff, I think it's at least worth giving it one more year. At the same time, if you're Gerard Mayo and you know a really good offensive coach, if you really believe in someone to take over there, I don't think it's not out of the realm of possibility that you could make that change. But I do think that with as many players as you might be carrying over from last year, it might be a good thing to like let them stay within the system for another year rather than change things over again with a fourth offensive coordinator in four years. Um, but no, I think there's still something there to be salvaged. And I'm personally shocked at how ugly this offense looked under Bill O'Brien this year. And I don't think it could get any worse at the same time I said that last year than it did. Uh, but no, I think that if he was able to make more decisions, then then maybe it does look better, you know? Yeah. I think Bill O'Brien has enough proven success, college, Patriots, NFL, as an offensive coach. I don't need all the, the tweets about he stunk as a GM or this and that. Right. Like, As an offensive coach and play caller, he has had success with different quarterbacks, different styles, different things. I think he's a, a decent coach. But I guess I kind of put the cart before the horse there asking you about Gerard Mayo and Bill O'Brien and all that. Do you believe the Patriots will have a new head coach as of, I guess, sometime next week? Ultimately, I would I would I would go in favor of yes, but I don't think it's a sure thing. I think that the fact that you know, latest reports out there that nothing has been decided, that there's going to be this meeting on Monday. Mike Reese said that today. You know, who knows? Maybe Bill Belichick does still figure out a way to to still be head coach, and I think there's a path for that. I think that there's a some some logic to that. Like Bill Belichick hasn't lost it as a coach like as a as a pure on-field coach I, I was being told that you know he still prepares the team well he tells the team like this is exactly what's going to happen then they see it happen this is what we can't do and then they do it anyway <laughs> and that like i think that in that regard it is more a talent issue and him picking the talent to play on the team than it is him to be coaching the team i think that relates i think that him picking offensive coaches certainly hasn't gone well him picking offensive players hasn't gone well so there's still a lot of talent for bill belichick as a coach there's still a lot of value in bill belichick as a coach there's just things that you have to strip away. I think that you do have to have more people having more say in the building. I think that maybe even someone has to have final say in front office. I think someone has to have final say in, in coaching the offense and, and picking coaches to coach the offense. And it all kind of depends on whether Bill Belichick is okay with handing over those duties. Once again, I lean towards maybe no because he's had that authority for so long and he's used to that in New England. So maybe he doesn't want to give that up. But I don't know if I'm Robert Kraft, like I'd at least try to keep him on. The defense has been so good this season that I don't know. I just I do still think there's a lot of value in Bill Belichick as a head coach. And the person you'd be handing it over to, let's say Gerard Mayo, like, yeah, you'd have the defense still in place, but you're taking out a genius coach in Bill Belichick. Maybe you're taking away Steve Belichick and Brian Belichick. Maybe they follow their father. And then overall, you're just weakening your staff and hoping that players 
are, are led better by Gerard Mayo, that like just the changeover in front office and offensive coaching, that would help things. But ultimately, I think that you might be weakening an aspect of your team to be strengthening others. Yeah, I find it fascinating in that it does seem like if you just could keep Bill Belichick on a practice field, at a whiteboard, right. in a meeting room, everything's still at a really high yeah. level. He might be the best, but everything else is a disaster. Because I actually, you know, obviously you guys detailed the building of the staff and the management of those things behind the scenes, the roster. But even I think he has said some of the dumbest things at the press conference podium of his whole <laughs> career in like the last year. It's like right. – the game itself hasn't passed him by that phrase that people like to use. The game, he can still play chess when everybody else is playing checkers on a football field. It's all the the extra stuff that comes across a head coach's desk and those those roles. And I find that really interesting. Um, so as we wrap this up, what do you think about the immediate future of the New England Patriots? Because um, we have a contrarian afternoon show host on our station by the name of Adam Jones, who <laughs> hates everything but somehow has convinced himself that the Patriots, if they do a couple things right this offseason, could easily be back in the division title hunt, the AFC playoff picture, all of those things. I'm a little bit more on the other side of the coin where I think it would be borderline unprecedented for a team to replace their quarterback, their head coach, and their GM in an offseason and then just roll right out of bed and go from top five picks to playoffs and all of that. How long do you think this – is going to be what was a rock bottom in Foxborough and how long till maybe they can compete for actual contention. What Robert Kraft has said, he believes is the goal each and every year to contend. How long do you think that'll be? There's definitely a path to improvement next year, but I would probably put it at 2025 or beyond as far as like competing for a divisional title or going far into the playoffs, just because there's a lot of work to be done on this team. And I do think they'll throw around money this offseason. Uh, they have to spend a lot of cash. They're going to have a lot of cap space. But sometimes it takes a year or two for those players to gel. You have to figure out who's working, who's not. They're going to lose some players on defense. And they have to like start over at a lot of positions on offense, not just quarterback. But you don't know that And the left tackle is certainly gone. Uh, right tackle, you're either going to have Michael Wanu leaving, Michael Wanu back as a guard. Like you have no idea what's going to happen at right tackle. You have no idea what's going to happen at one of the guard spots. So like you're almost turning over your entire offense. So like yeah, maybe they figure it all out and spend money wisely and 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 go back to contending on offense. But it's just a lot to ask for in one offseason while also potentially changing your head coach, certainly changing your quarterback. You have no idea who that's going to be, whether it's a rookie, which is going to take a year or two, or a veteran, which only really gets you up to a certain ceiling uh, with your team. So, no, I'm not sure. It's uh, I feel odd saying that I'm not as, as rosy as Adam Jones about the <laughs> prospects of the Patriots, but I guess I'm not. Uh, I do think that it will probably take a couple of years for them to actually get back into like legit contendership. Okay, and one final one before we let you go, and it kind of pales in comparison to all this big-picture discussion, but if you were a Patriots fan on Sunday, whether you're at home, whether you're sitting in three inches of snow at Gillette Stadium, <laughs> are you rooting for your team to win or lose this game? It seems like it's been the de divisive question of Patriot Nation this season, tanking, not tanking, I'll never root for them to lose, I'll never root for the Jets to win. What would you be rooting for? Like, Because, you know, the top number two overall pick is still in play with a loss. I mean, I think... I think you have to root for them to lose. Like I, I know it sounds. I I've been kind of on Patriots fans a little bit about being like, why aren't they tanking? Why aren't they tanking? Well, there's no one like 
for the Patriots, there's no real benefit to tanking. If you're Bill Belichick and you don't know if you're going to be back, if you're a player who wants to get good tape out there. But for a fan, I'm totally okay with you rooting for tanking because, like, yeah, it's it's very serious. Like, if they could get that number two overall pick and they can get one of the top two quarterbacks in this draft, like, that's massive. And if you fall out of that, then you're talking about potentially having to trade up to get that quarterback, not getting that quarterback, and getting someone like Jacoby Brissett or Kirk Cousins or someone else. Like, it's pretty massive to to pick as high as you possibly can in, in next year's draft. So I certainly would not have been blaming them for rooting for a loss against the Broncos. Uh, the Bills obviously went their way. I think this is going to be pretty tough to lose against the Jets with Trevor Simeon as quarterback, but I do. I think that you can like root on Bill Belichick. You can cheer for him. You can cheer for Matthew Slater. You can give the team uh, the, the, I don't know, respect that it deserves, while also in the back of your mind being like, you know what, it's in the best interest of the team to lose this game. And organically, if Chad Ryland misses a couple kicks and Bailey Zappi turns the ball over on the first play of the game yet again, organically, you might just be able to lose and everybody can go home happy. Uh, He is Doug Kide, Boston Herald. Follow him on Twitter at Doug Kide. Go over to bostonherald.com today. Read the story from he and Andrew Callahan that details somehow, some way, the Patriots offense actually got worse after the Matt Patricia and Joe Judge experiment. Uh, Doug, I appreciate you joining us. And as I said, it's a very special one because you were on camera and it's the final, uh, not only of the season here on Six Rings and Football Things, but it's the final interview uh, for a game for us of the Bill Belichick era. So I I guess you kind of made history today. That's huge. I I love making history. Thank you, Andy. I appreciate you having me on. Appreciate you, Doug. And that's going to do it for another Six Rings and Football Things brought to you by FanDuel. Make every moment more.